This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you would like to support this podcast and start a 30-day trial membership, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Season 11, Episode 20. This is Writing Excuses, horror as subgenre. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And once again, we have our good friend Steve Diamond. How's it going? Pretty good. Thank you for coming back and uh, talking some more about horror yeah, with us. it's been two weeks, Steve. It's been forever. <laughs> it's good to see you again. So glad to be back with you guys again. <laughs> We've been in the basement the whole time. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about um, using horror as a subgenre. But first, I want to dig into a, a question of this this question I ask every time: What makes people turn the pages when you have a horror element in your story? Why are, why is that pulling people through the story? The the great thing about horror is that it is so universal. I think it is profoundly universal, and and every story can and often does have an element of it. In a romance, the idea that the person you love might not love you back and you'll be alone forever, like, that's horror. That's straight-up horror right there. And so we can all recognize it when it happens, Mm -hmm. and we all feel connected to the characters that are going through it. And I think we have an incredible moment of catharsis at the end of it, that no matter how bad it was and no matter how profoundly the characters lost... We survived it, and we have this great moment of of victory. I guess yeah. there, there's a lot of different reasons to to turn the pages. One of my favorites is the hope that the horrible thing that I have imagined is in fact worse than what the author thought of. Mm. That I'm going to turn the page and things might somehow get better. Um, and and I love being tricked into believing that. Uh, I mean. I don't really love it, but those are the most effective <laughs> horror stories for me is where I keep turning the page uh, because I want to know how it turns out and I want the ending to at least be a little bit better than what I thought of and and then being wrong. So could we say in a way that this is a reversal of adventure that we talked about? In that adventure, we want to see what cool thing the protagonists come up with to overcome these obstacles. And in horror, it's the... We are waiting to see what kind of gruesome train wreck is going to happen at the end of this plot cycle because we know something terrible is coming. There's, I mean, what you're describing is kind of uh, rubbernecking mm-hmm. for horror, and I've, I certainly do that. That's the only way I can get through a horror movie is to you know, tell jokes at the screen. Uh-huh. I can't just sit there and be viscerally afraid because I don't like that. Psychologically, I just don't like that. But there are people who do— and mm-hmm. the experience that they're having is not um, is not the rubbernecking of you know I want to see what horrible thing happens. Right. It's I want to feel the horrible thing happen and be afraid. Mm-hmm. I want that adrenaline rush. I want that that anxiety burst. Yeah. I don't understand how those people think, but I will sell them stories. But at the but, same time, uh, to to piggyback onto that, but then they know they're still safe. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's why mm-hmm. they'll keep reading. Now, specifically to this being horror as a subgenre, mm-hmm. the reason, the way you can get people to keep reading in this is, how is the, the horrific element that you're introducing into your story fundamentally changing what you're introducing it into? Mm-hmm. So if it's a Western, how's it changing it? 
if it's fantasy, right. how is it changing it? Um, what, how's it changing the characters? Yeah, how's, how's it changing, changing the, the characters, setting? the plot, the setting? Um, it can be the economics of a world if, if you know, if you're like Tim Levin or, or Chana Mieville. Um, how, how does that affect it? Yeah, and, and, and that's what keeps people reading. And I, I think uh, in, within that, the thing that Brandon just said about the character is that when you go through a horrific experience, it does exert profound change on mm-hmm. you. You come out of the other side totally different. It's yeah. impossible to go through mm-hmm. it unscathed. And so a lot of times horror can, as a, a sub-element, can really illuminate the character and it can also be something that motivates them. It's why a lot of a lot of books start with the, the fridging of the girlfriend. Right. Um, which is something that I do not encourage, but it's it's because you need something, or the author thinks they need something to to motivate the the character forward. But a lot of times that's true. It's just that it's not something you necessarily need at the beginning of the book. Right. Now, let's say that you're writing a story. It's, it's an adventure story, but they're going to go now into the cave, and it's going to enter a, a horror segment, right? Okay. Uh, where you're transitioning, you're kind of taking the power away from the characters for a little while so that you can ramp up tension and things like this. What are the touchstone elements of what will make that sequence a true horror story? Like, what are the, the moments and points along the path? For me, uh, one of the best times I've seen this done was in a— uh, older Michael Z. Williamson book, which mm-hmm. was a uh, very much an you know action gun sort of book, uh-huh. and yet there is this flashback in which we learn why this character is kind of broken, and he's broken because he was the soldier who had to give the order to murder everybody in the village, mm. and we watch that event unfold, and we watch him approach that decision with. Dread and the realization that, oh my gosh, he's he's going to give that order. He's going to become that person that I really don't want him to become. And I'm going to have to spend the whole rest of this book following this person who is in point of fact a monster, as so, evidenced by what happens right here. And as that unfolded, yeah, I was horrified. And then, uh, and, you know, and then the book proceeded with. So are you action. saying anticipation is part of that? Anticipation, dread, dread, dread. dread. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. the it's the fearful anticipation yeah. Yeah. Well, of something. For me, dread is is the anticipation of fear, or I mean, it's it is it is both being in fear and mm-hmm. and also afraid of what is coming. Mm-hmm. It's not just being afraid of the moment, but it's also being afraid right. of what is coming next. Yeah, um, I think one of the and and Howard already hit on this that the ability to use a insert a scene of horror to reveal something important about your characters. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to learn that this character, when the going gets really bad, she's going to step up to the plate. Well, okay then. When she goes down into that cave, in your example, it's going to be an outright horror story in there, and she's going to get through it. Horror. This other character, we need to find out that he has, you know, some p- specific breaking point. Well, we're going to throw him into just one little horror scene where everything goes wrong, and we're going to watch him become, you know, selfish or whatever and see, oh, that's his big character flaw. And horror is so good at exposing those. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's that whole idea that, you know, early, Mary, you talked about like more like primal fears, mm-hmm. you know, that we have. Um, and in your example specifically, Brandon, you were talking about, oh, there's a cave and, 
and you know what what happens how does that how can you turn that into a horse into a horse segment um, within a story um, and to kind of wrap all this together you know there's there's the moments of okay how are the characters going to react to this um, how far are they going to go um, or are they going to retreat um, this uncertainty that comes along with it all um, how much you know again you know the uncertainty of Will they will they get through this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to go back to Mary's statement, will they get through this horrific scene unscathed? Um, or as a reader, I'm hoping they don't, because I want to I want to see <laughs> how they change. You want to see development. I want to see yeah. how they change and develop, yeah. and then how that's going to influence further segments of horror to the positive or the negative. Yeah, and I think it's it's the basic for me. It's the how. It, how do they handle the loss of control? Yeah, mm, absolutely. Um, and then within that also, one of the things that I think is often very specific to to horror is um, the, the really visceral sensory details. Mm-hmm. It's not just that bad things are happening. It's that that the reader is completely immersed in, you know, it's it's not just there was a pool of liquid on the floor. It's yeah. the, the slime. You talked about this at one point years ago, Dan, and pointing at him for the visual, <laughs> mm-hmm. for the video feed people, um, that it's it's not just the, um, you know, if you if you touch the liquid, it's not just, oh, the liquid is slimy. It's that the liquid clings and it's mm-hmm. it's being trapped by the details yeah. as much as anything right. else. And it's just a little bit warmer than my hand. and <laughs> Or yeah. a little cold. The, in the, um, the puppet kitchen, which is actually a place where we make puppets, um, it's in this old church. And, you know, we've got all these fun things upstairs. But then I know... It sounds horrible. <laughs> it is. But wait, it gets, and, and, and it is so cliche because you go... You, you open the door to the basement, and basements are usually cold. And you open the door to the basement, and this warm, moist air comes up from the basement. Breathing at you. Breathing at you, yeah. And there's a single bulb, and you go down, and there is, there is a tricycle. And you're like... <laughs> this is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. <laughs> you're like, what is wrong right. with you? <laughs> okay, I gotta, I gotta stop we need us. To do a book of the week. Uh, we need to do our book of the week. Um, and our book of the week actually is one that Steve is going to pitch to us. Okay, uh, I'm going to pitch to you guys Swan Song by Robert McCammon. Robert McCammon is one of the finest horror authors to ever have graced this earth. Um, He is a terrific human being as well. Um, Swan Song was basically his answer to The Stand by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it is a, just a glorious romp through, um, through an apocalypse that even though this was written in the eighties still feels, it still feels relevant today. It still feels like this could happen today. Um, and the characters in it are fabulous. The evil characters in it are fabulous. Um, and Robert McCammon does something in horror that very few other people do and, and can get away with it. And that's, he leaves you with the glimmer of hope at the end. Hmm. Um, all the terrible stuff happens. All the terrible stuff happens. But there's still this slight bit of hope. Hmm. Um, just enough to make you wonder, is it all going to be okay or not? And you can experience this for yourself going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day trial with Audible. Um, download Swan Song by Robert McCammon. It's read by, and I'm going to try this last name. I'm sorry. Tom Schultz. Wow. Even Mary's having trouble. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's German. You'd know it. Yeah. Stechschulter would be the German. Yeah. Well, there was a moment of also trying to read your handwriting. Yeah, that's that's runes that we're only supposed to be looking at with one eye. Let's move on to talking really about hybridizing horror. Um, and I'm going to raise two examples of hybrid horrors um, that I think will be illustrative of this. The first one is Seven. Uh, seven is a hybrid mystery horror. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of horror has mystery elements. Yeah. And the other one is the one Dan raised la- um, last time, which is Aliens, which I would argue that Alien is a true horror. And Aliens is an adventure with a strong horror sub-theme mm. and that they specifically changed the genre for that one in order to give a new experience. Yeah, absolutely. What makes these work? In, in both cases, um, there's, the, there's the loss of control. Mm-hmm. Um, we see, you know, in Seven, we're following these detectives, and the closer they get to solving the mystery, the more danger they are placing themselves in. Well, right, the worse it's getting. Yeah, you yeah, could say The worst, the worst things are getting. Um, starts as a mystery, and at the end is a true horror. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, in exploring horror as a subgenre element, those are great examples, but it's also useful to look at every time George R.R. R. Martin has killed off a character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because taking an epic fantasy and giving you a moment of horror when a thing that often happens in epics happens is a great way to explore the use of that tool because it's... Uh, I think of it the way I think of humor. Mm-hmm. Humor, I think of beat, beat, punchline. And horror, I think of, in, in that environment, I think of it as beat, beat, stab. Where <laughs> I set something up, I set something up, and then I position it and contextualize it, and then, I, and then there's this, this twist, this turn, that is surprising, and then it stabs you. And that's See, I'm it. going to argue that George R. R. Martin's that just killing characters is not a horror element. He does have horror elements yeah. in those books. But the, yeah. my, my, the it's not the overall yeah, body count, no. but mm-hmm. the things like the red wedding mm-hmm. felt very horrific That's a very to me. Scene. I, I would say, uh, if we're talking specifically about Martin mm-hmm. um, and you know, kind of the grim dark genre as a, right. as, a, as a whole, um, the, the the prologue to the very first novel is, right. is absolutely horror. Yeah, and then when Ned Stark bites it, because that's the very first the very mm-hmm. first taste of it that you mm-hmm. get that this is awful. Um, it it stops becoming horror as the series goes on 
Um, yeah, it's because, something, because you expect yeah. it. Like yeah. Song and of Roland has a high body count of main characters. It is not a horror in the least bit. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the, the things that I want to talk about is using horror in things that are not dark and grim and gritty. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, for instance, Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey. It's a straight up romance, but the main character is reads gothic horror novels. That's what she reads. And so she interprets everything as if she is in a horror novel. So there's this, you know, she's like, I'm, I hear the scratching at the window and I, it must be someone trying to get in. Right. And it's, it's a tree branch. So good. It's a I great book. Yeah, if if it, you haven't read it, it's her only actual satire. Yes. Which is a lot of people don't understand as they go into that one. And yeah. Masterpiece Theater did to date my favorite Jane Austen adaptation of any of her books is their Northanger Abbey. Uh, yeah. But but one of the things about that and about Austen and, and using horror in non grimdark settings, mm-hmm. is that using that, that moment where the protagonist recognizes the single element that's out of place, which is the clue that something is about to go terribly wrong and their emotional reaction right. to it, yeah. that you can have these moments of horror without having mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. like an entire bloodbath scene. The, the great thing about that, and, and the reason that works so well, is because of the normalcy mm-hmm. that it is contrasted against. So you have these very normal moments, these very average moments. And then, and then, like you said, that, that one mm-hmm. thing that, that shifts just a little bit and you go, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore, are we? Yeah. Or that momentary loss of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is a big part of it. I think of how many epic fantasies you will have this scene where somebody gets kidnapped from their perspective. Uh, it happened in the, the Wheel of Time to the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the person you've been following who's the hero who's in charge is no longer in charge, is without power, and is in a horrific situation. This elicits those same emotions. One of the ways that uh, you can use horror like this and that loss of control is kind of what Howard was talking about earlier is that anticipation. Mm. Um, and Seven does this. And... A lot of tragedies, in fact, do this. Othello is a great example, where you spend the whole story getting to know a character, and then all of a sudden you present them with a choice, and you know exactly how their mind works, and you know they're going to choose the wrong thing. And that is a powerful moment of horror that can be used in any setting. You don't need supernatural stuff. You don't need blood. Mm -hmm. You don't need gore. You just need that inescapable certainty that the character you love is going to do the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes also that the character knows what the consequences are going to be, but they don't, there's no other option. Yeah, and and that's a great way of showing, you know, the character's in control. They're the ones making the decision, mm-hmm. but really they're not. You know, fate has kind of forced their hand or their own personality, their tragic flaw. And so you get this great contrast of control and lack of control at the same time, and it's just delicious. Well, it's like, As, the, it's like the metaphor of getting into a minecart. And you start down the down the railway, and then the brake, the handbrake just right. busts. Yeah, your first mistake was getting being in the, the minecart. Yeah, um, <laughs> the uh, first mistake was being in one of Steve's stories. Yes, yes. Uh, the 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 whole the whole elemental genre concept. As we talk about how these things make us feel, putting horror for me anyway, putting mm-hmm. horror in anything is because. I want you to feel all of the things. Mm-hmm. If I've made you anxious and afraid, if I've given you dread, then when I have a stand-up-and-cheer moment later, 
you're going to cheer and you're going to cry a little bit because you get to cheer. When I make you laugh, you're not just going to laugh, you're going to laugh and feel relief. And it's, it's one of those things that a good, and we said this a couple of weeks ago, a good chef will craft the meal so that the flavors complement each other. And you put horror in a thing because it makes the humor funnier, it makes the action actionier. Or yeah, it, it makes the love lovier. Or you. I, I know, That's the I, title of our love, romance love anthology. <laughs> love is lovier. Make love lovier. A night of um, loving lovier. The other way to do it, though, is to is is to take those things but reverse them. So you use the humor to set up the horror and make it that much worse. And this mm-hmm. is the difference between you and me. <laughs> You're a bad person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I try so hard. So so I, I want to point out really quick before we end, one of the things we talk about with horror is that it, it you know, you, you don't have hope that it's going to end poor, poorly no matter what. When you are using horror as a spice to another genre, you can escape that. Oh, yes. You can use it to your advantage. Because here's a scene of horror and you know that that scene will end poorly. But like Howard said, all that does is set you up so that the good stuff that comes later is that much better when you get to it. This works really well in Westerns when you mix a horror element into, a, into the Western genre because the two, the, the, the unknown, being on the border, you know, all of these, these things that you're unfamiliar with, um, that things can come at you in the night. Um, it works really well when you put a little bit of a horror element into a Western and then, and then you still have the good stuff at the end. All right. That's been great. I have to actually cut us now um, oh. so that we can uh, – <laughs> I know. You have to cut us now. Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> Wait. Uh, Mary, you have some homework for us. Yes. So we've been talking about using this as a spice and the contrast that you can get. So what, I'm going to ask you to write two things. And it's basically the same scene. But the first time, I want you to write it so that there's a funny element and then tragedy or horror happens. Right. And then I want you to take that and reverse it so that the second time you mm. write it, the horror comes first and then the comedy. The exact same things. Exact same things, but just reverse that so that those elements are in different relationship to each other so you can see what happens when you start flipping these pieces around. Excellent. Once again, thank you, Steve. Thank you. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry.
Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 